Ghost. Amen. Amen. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother, and a great fear came upon all. Picture a graveside burial, I'm sure you've been to one, at which the gospel scene is replayed. There's a procession with the casket towards the grave, all the attending people and mourners, when all of a sudden someone walks in from another direction, walks up the casket, touches it, and all of a sudden the top of the casket opens, and the person inside sits up and starts talking. It would be wonderful and here. It would be wonderful, obviously, because it would be someone we miss now returning to us. But it would be eerie because it would just be strange. We are at a funeral because someone is dead, and we certainly expect the dead to remain dead. But this is, in fact, the essence of the Christian hope. Christ has conquered death, and our belief, our hope that we say every week is that he'll come again in glory to judge the world and raise the dead which means to complete the new creation. We should mourn at a funeral precisely because we want the dead to rise and walk. And because we know it will be a while before that hope is fulfilled. We mourn not merely our loss, but the absence of the fullness of our hope. We look for the resurrection of the dead, for the life of the world to come, and we want it now. That is the essence of Christian faith and hope. This hope is expressed in what we say when we commit the body to the grave at a burial service. We say, quote, Unto Almighty God we commend the soul of our brother or sister departed, and we commit his body to the ground in sure and certain hope of the resurrection unto eternal life for our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose coming in glorious majesty to judge the world, the earth and the sea will give up their dead, and the corruptible bodies of those who sleep in him shall be changed, and may like unto his own glorious body, according to the mighty working by which he is able to subdue all things unto himself. We believe that the dead in Christ are with him now, but we believe that this is an intermediate state and not our final hope. <clears throat> when we mistake this intermediate state of rest for the final hope of resurrection, the Christian hope gets watered down into the idea that we're going to spend eternity floating on clouds and playing harps. Something none of us really want to do. And therefore, it's very hard for us to find that a very compelling thing to believe in. We must avoid thinking of heaven as what Father Schmemann called a cosmic cemetery, a place where soul rests forever. This is why I amend the traditional prayer that we pray at the altar for the departed of Christ. We pray not only that the faithful departed may rest in peace, we pray also 
develop the theological virtue of hope only in as much as we long for the restoration of all things, the renewal of the whole creation and the restoration to the fullness of life in the body. That is the Christian hope. And apart from that vision, we do not really have that theological virtue. The pattern of resurrection in our gospel story corresponds with what the New Testament tells us will happen at the last day. And the key point of correspondence is that resurrection takes place at the command of Jesus. In the gospel, Jesus issued a command to this dead person. Young man, I say to thee, arise. This is similar to what we see in the other two New Testament resurrection stories. One was our morning prayer lesson uh, today. Jesus said to the brother of Mary and Martha, Lazarus, come forth. He ordered him out of the tomb. Jesus said to the daughter of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, little girl, I say to you, arise. In a similar way, the New Testament says that the resurrection at the last day will take place at the command of Jesus. As Jesus said in John 5, 28 to 29, quote, The hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done the good to the resurrection of life and those who have done the evil to the resurrection of condemnation. 1 Thessalonians says, quote, The Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. When Jesus comes again in glory to judge the world and raise the dead, he will issue a command to the dead of every age. He will say, Arise. And the dead will obey him because he is the Son of God and the Lord of the entire creation. In the beginning, God made all things by his word. He spoke, and the various aspects of creation came to pass. At the end of time, he will speak again. And the new creation will be completed in the same manner as the first creation. The epistle today focuses on the inner work of resurrection. Quote, The God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend all the saints who is in breadth and length and height and depth and know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The life of Christ is planted within us in baptism. It is sustained by our ongoing faith or trust as his life becomes a 
become rooted and grounded in love. This is spiritual horticulture. The inner man grows as we persevere in faith, prayer, and obedience. <clears throat> Our future outward resurrection is the natural consequence of this current inner work. As 2 Corinthians says, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. Our bodies grow old and die, but the life of God within us becomes more vibrant and strong as we grow in virtues like faith, hope, love, humility, perseverance, self-control, and generosity. When God has finished his interior work in us, he will give us glorious bodies that are fitting for redeemed sons and daughters of God. To persevere in faith through physical trials and bodily death requires the ability to see, to perceive this inner work of God, what God is doing within us. Despair, related things like anxiety, result from an inability to see this inner work and a focus only on outward appearances. Faith and hope increase as we learn to see what God is doing in and through the outward circumstances. As we perceive God's present work within us, we grow in our hope of its future fulfillment in the resurrection. The ability to perceive God's work is especially important in our time. Our civilization is in a decline. There is, and we can see it in movies and various other places, a looming apocalyptic sense that we are experiencing the end of an age. It is tempting to see the outward decline as evidence that God is absent. We must pray for eyes of faith to see what God is doing within and to understand that the kingdom of God exists apart from all earthly kingdoms. Just as our interior growth continues in spite of our exterior decay, so the kingdom of God advances despite the rise and fall of earthly civilizations and nations. This is why the epistle contains what is essentially a prayer for vision. It's the kind of thing that St. Paul expresses in a number of places in the New Testament that people would see in the epistle, he says, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of God which passes knowledge. Our perception of our lives and the state of the world depends upon how we see and perceive the world around us. Two people may experience the very same trying circumstance. 
type of trying circumstances. The one may emerge from that full of greater faith and hope, and the other may emerge from that full of anxiety and fear. One can see what God is doing. The other can see only the visible circumstance, trial or failure. The difference is not the circumstance, but the way the circumstance is understood. Do we see what God is doing, or are we blind to the work of God within us and in the world around us? The epistle tells us that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. In other words, God thinks really big, but we tend to think small. We focus on temporal success, but God is preparing us for his eternal kingdom. We aim at a pain-free life, but God aims to work through our pain to, to develop in us new virtues, new strength. We try to feel good right now at all costs, while God works in our lives to bring us lasting peace and lasting joy. We ask for mere comfort, but God is about the business of raising us We come to church to remember and to further this work of God within us and in the world. And we must remember that we can only further the work of God in the world if God is first at work in us. That is our witness. We gather as citizens of the eternal kingdom to feed on eternal food that nourishes the life within us and prepares us for the resurrection and the life of the world to come. As Jesus said, quote, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.